you would open your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3, and as you're doing that, our core kids are dismissed to their classes um, as well. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. Um, how many of y'all have, have um, memorized the memory verse? Any, any memory, memory verse? Yeah? Yeah? You want, you want to come share it? No? No? Okay, well... It's all right. We can't verify that then. You know, we just have to, you know, I'm, just, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, no, no you know, I, I appreciate you um, um, memorizing the verse. I'm thinking about it. I, I know that sometimes it's a little bit intimidating. Um, not everybody is as bold as Isaiah, you know, to come up here and, and get up there and do it. I appreciate that. But um, we're going to say it together. So let's go ahead and do that. Ready? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Very good reading. Let's all stand to our feet and let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 18 and we're going to read to verse 21. And here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Lord God, thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for your grace that is sufficient. Thank you for your love toward us. Thank you for your presence that is here. And Lord, we just pray now that you would speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to your church, and that we would not just be hearers of it, but that we would be doers of your word, Lord God. We pray that you be glorified not only in the preaching of your word, but in the hearing as well. We thank you for this, and we pray all these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we want to make sure, um, as you have your outlines there, if you don't have your outline, again, just raise your hand. The ushers will be sure to get you one. Want to make sure you can follow along in the introduction. Want to make sure you can take some notes. And um, as always, it is our responsibility and call to make disciples. And so one of the tools that we try to offer you to help you in that process is the uh, outlines that you have. There's some notes that you can take and that way you can sit down with someone in this week and you can talk to them about what you learned in the Word of God. Um, and this message, it may be specific for some people. Uh, as we're dealing with family today, we're going to talk about family. We're actually going to deal with the message entitled House Rules, House Rules. And so one of the things I believe is that one of the most, this is in your outline as well, one of the most important metrics of our faith in Christ is our home life. One of the most important metrics of our faith is our home life, right? When we think about Christianity, when we think about being Christians, how our homes look is very, very important, right? And a lot of times, depending on your age, right, you may feel uh, like this really doesn't matter. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe, um, you know, whatever your situation may be. Maybe you're an empty nester. Uh, maybe your kids are older and you feel like, well, you know, I messed up or whatever the case is. I just want you to know there is grace for all of those things. 
scenarios, right? And so if you're one that's not there yet, I want to encourage you, pay attention. Take some notes and file this away somewhere because you're going to need it one day, right? For those of you that are beyond this phase in your life, I want to say, hey, take some notes as well because I would hope that as you make disciples, if you're older, that you would be pouring into someone else's life. And this may be a message that may be not directly for you, but something for somebody else. And so typically, I would tell you, don't listen with your elbows. Listen with your ears, right? And so I want to say that, right? Listen with your ears, but also think about those people around you that may have issues, right? That may be going through stuff in their lives. For us as believers, and I was talking with Pastor Chad about this, and we're talking about making disciples, and one of our greatest desires as a church is to be a healthy church, right? We want to be a church that is not just big, that is not just growing numerically. We want to, we want to be a church that is healthy, right? And so how do we measure health in a church? And one of the primary things that we have to look at to see if we're healthy is what do the families that participate in our church look like? Because if we are truly healthy, then what's going to happen is that's going to reflect in our families. And the way that that occurs, that your family starts to reflect the Bible, is when you start listening to truth and you start applying truth, you start obeying truth. Um, having a conversation today. And in this conversation, if you guys don't know, uh, Isaac Pagan Jr., uh, he's going to be the father of a daughter. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand for that, right? And so he says, hey, man, I'm going to need some advice, right? And I'm like, why? And first he's like, I don't know if you know. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I, what, do you, what do you need advice about? And he's like, well, you know, I'm going to have a daughter. And I'm like, okay. I said, well, I'll give you some advice. And, you know, and then I pointed a, a, to, to Brother uh, Minister Lewis who was there. And he was like, you know, and he said, I'll tell you one thing. And this is for sure. The Bible tells you everything that you need to know about parenting. Don't compromise on any of it. Did you hear that? The Bible tells you, a lot of people say this, and I, want, and I want to correct this thinking because I think that this is so wrong. And they say, you know, kids don't come with instructions. You're right. You got the instructions before the kids. Now, there may be some specifics that are not written in here, right? Like your kid may have some specific challenges or whatever that may be not written out in the scriptures, like certain um, things that he may struggle with or she may struggle with. But what we know is that the principles for parenting are black and white, and the Bible is given to all of us, and so we are all without excuse. And listen, that's not to be condemning. That's just being realistic. Our families must reflect what the Bible says, right? Our families must look like the power of God. And here's the thing, our culture, sadly, it reflects a lack of value placed on solid biblical family values. Let me say that again. Sadly, our culture reflects a lack of value placed on solid biblical family values. In our culture today, we see it all over the place where we, we don't see the importance of parenting. We don't see the importance of different things that we, we're more concerned in many cases, and this is an example I'll give you. In many cases, we're more concerned with the house that we are building instead of the home that we live in, right? The home that we are building with a family, right? The home that we're, we're more concerned with what our house looks like and what this is, but we're not concerned about that home, that family, and building that family life. You know, thinking back, as I thought about that. Growing up, man, we didn't have a big house ever, right? I remember at one point, it was like, it was four of us, and I used to, and we were in a two-bedroom, and I remember I would sleep on this couch that was by night my bed, and by daytime it was something else. And you know what? I didn't feel less loved because I didn't have my own bedroom. Hello, somebody. 
right? I didn't feel less love because I couldn't have every single thing that every other kid had. I had some insecurity issues later on, but that was just me being a teenager, you know, being more concerned with things. You know, my grandfather always told me something. And so for young people, uh, you know, you got to remember this. I would ask him, hey, do you like these sneakers? And he's like, do you like the sneakers? And I'm like, I know I like them, but do you like them? He's like, don't matter what anybody else likes. Do you like it? That's all that matters because you know what? When you get older, that's all that's really going to matter is what you think because you're really not going to care about what anyone else thinks, especially when you start working. Hello, somebody. You start paying bills, right? You start seeing how much things cost. You're like, no, I don't care about all that stuff there. And so the reality is that we have to be concerned, right? We have to be concerned about the families we build. And so last part of that paragraph there or that sentence there is as believers who have been changed by the gospel, we must ask ourselves the question, how do our families reflect that change? How do our families reflect that change? How are our families reflecting the change of the gospel, right? And that's a, that's a tough question to ask because a lot of times that's heavy because you start thinking about, man, my family, does my family look like the change that I say I've experienced? Does my family look like the change that happens at the cross? Is my family looking like that? And, and listen, it's a tough question that needs to be answered. And you're either going to say, yes, it does, right? And you're going to be like, amen. Or you're going to be like, no, it doesn't. And you're going to say, oh, me. And it's difficult there. But, you know, I want you to understand this. This message is not meant to be condemning. This message is meant to give you the reality check that we need to have, right, as parents, as husbands, as wives, as children. I love it that there's children in the room. Amen. Parents, y'all going to love me in point two. And so, you know, the reality is that we have to think about what our families look like. We have fathers in the house, fathers to be, right? And so we have this reality. So here's the thing. Here's the big idea that I have for you this morning. Our families must Align with biblical expectations if we want to see biblical fruit. I'll say that again. Our families must align with biblical expectations if we want to see biblical fruit. And so I don't know about you, but I want my life to look like God wants it to look. Anybody else want that for themselves? I want my family to look the way God wants it to look. I want every area of my life to look the way that God wants it to look. And can I tell you something? Jesus says, in the, and I believe this is in the book of Matthew, and at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, he talks about these two guys. And he says, you know, I'm going to tell you there's one that is a wise builder. And this is the one who has heard my words, and he has done them. And he is one that is like building his house upon the rock. And then there is another one who is there. He is not a wise builder, and he is the one who, who went ahead and heard what Jesus said, but didn't do it. And then, you know, I want you to notice something about that little portion of Jesus's closing exhortation. He says this, he says, a storm came to both of their lives. Are you here? I say that because I want you to notice Jesus didn't say the wise person who built, built upon the rock and never had a storm come. Are you here? Are you here? Yeah, right? He didn't say that. What he said was this. He said that they would build upon the rock, and when the storms come, they wouldn't what? They wouldn't fall away. They wouldn't fall apart. And so here's the thing that we think a lot of times as Christians. We're so concerned sometimes about the storm, and we're like, man, why is this storm coming? Listen, don't worry about the storm that's coming. Worry about the rock you're standing on. 
Worry about the truth that you have decided to send. And I'm not saying because, you know, some of you are like, man, well, you ain't feeling this storm. You're not feeling the winds that I feel. You're not feeling, you know, and, and I get that. I understand all of that. But the same scriptures apply to you. And when I go through storms, you go through storms. We go through different storms in our lives. We have to ask one important question. What am I standing upon? Am I standing upon the rock of Jesus Christ? And, and how do I know that? Am I standing on his word? Am I standing in the truth of what scripture says? Or am I standing on the sand? Am I standing on my own opinions? Am I standing on my own feelings? Am I standing on what's going on inside of me? Or am I standing upon the rock? That becomes the biggest question. And so if you and I desire to see the biblical fruit, then our lives, our families must align with biblical values, biblical standards that God has for us. And so the first point I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say the dynamic between husband and wife sets the tone for the family. The dynamic between husband and wife sets the tone for the family. Look at verses 18 to 19. It says, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And every wife said, amen. amen. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And every man said, Amen. I like the men's amen a little better, right? And so here, here's, here's what we have here. First of all, I want to say this because I think that this is so important that I always say that, and, and I don't know if you thought about this, but the Bible, you are responsible for what the Bible says only, only in the areas in which you find yourself like living, right? So what I mean is this, if you are not married, then you as a, as a man don't have to worry about this verse at this point. If you are a woman who is not married, you don't have to worry about this verse at this point. The moment that you get married, guess what you have to worry about? These verses. If you're a man, you need to worry about the man verse. If you're a woman, you need to worry about the woman verse. And let me say this real quick. Don't worry about your woman doing her thing or your man doing his thing. You do your thing. Amen. That's marriage counseling 101, right? Like, I think that this becomes so very important. But what I want you to realize is that Paul, as he's walking through, he's speaking to the church of Colossae. And remember what, what has been taught, right? We want to we retract, right? We want to think back. So the way that the Gnostics believed, the way that these di different belief systems were, is that they believed that you had to have some super spiritual insight and some super spiritual endowment in order for you to be able to obey and live holy lives. And what Paul is saying, no, that's not not true. Everyone of you that has heard the gospel and put your faith in Jesus, you can do what? You can die to yourself. You have died to yourself, and now you have the grace of God within you so that way you can obey. And this is what obedience looks like in the most important place on the planet, which is our homes. This is what obedience to the Word of God looks like. And everyone that is husband and wife, you have to recognize this. This sets the tone for everything. And so here's what I want you to get. Our obedience to the commands of the Lord to submit and love create an environment of a healthy fear of the Lord. Let me say that again for you because I know y'all are taking notes. Our obedience to the commands of the Lord to submit and love creates an environment of a healthy fear of the Lord. See, here's what happens. When I, as a husband, am committed to loving my wife as Christ loves the church, right? That's, that, that, that's a lot 
not there, but it, but it is telling me that I'm to be committed to loving her in a manner that is satisfying, in a manner that is sanctifying. I, I need to love her in those ways that are sacrificial, right? That's what that means, Ephesians chapter 5. You guys can look over there for a little bit more detail on that. But when I commit to loving my wife as Christ loves the church and not being bitter toward her, I am focused on what? I am focused on honoring God. My focus is on bringing glory to God. And so as a woman in the house, if you're married, when you are focused on submission to your husband as the church submits to Christ, you're, you're, you're committed to that, right? What happens is you, again, are focusing on the Lord. You're not focused on each other. It's not about you or her. It's about giving glory to God. And in that, you are going to love and submit, honor and respect one another. And here's what happens. You create an environment in your home where there is a God consciousness. And what I mean by that when I say the fear of the Lord, that's what I'm talking about. It's a consciousness that I am, listen, God never leaves the room, right? He never, he never walks out. He doesn't, he doesn't, when you start yelling, you start acting a fool. He didn't walk out of the room. You may have grieved his spirit for sure, depending on what you were doing or whatever the case is. But here's the thing. He doesn't walk out of the room. And so you know what I recognize? I recognize that I'm always before the Lord. My treatment of my spouse is always before the Lord, and I am doing this unto him. And so as a husband, as a wife, this is what happens. When I am living that way, our example calls for imitation, especially when we have little ones in the house. You know why? Because they see us, because guess what? Some of them are sitting in this room with us. And they hear your bishop preaching about you submitting to your husband. Hello, somebody. They hear your bishop preaching about you loving your wife as Christ loves the church. And guess what they're doing? You, you don't think they're listening because sometimes they have their head down. Sometimes they're not paying attention in your mind. But they're listening. They're absorbing everything. And, and you know what happens? They start to know what you're supposed to be doing. And guess what they're doing? They're watching. They're looking at what you're doing as, as husband and wife. And then they're going to be like, oh, I'm supposed to follow Jesus? What about her? What about him? See, because what happens is when we're doing this, our example calls for imitation. Our example shows them, wait a second, they're serious about this Jesus. They're serious about serving this Christ. See, that's the reason why we strive to obey these commands. And so what does it mean? So wives, so I want you to notice this um, and the word, and you've heard this word before, but, you know, in our culture, submission is like an ugly, dirty word. The devil is a liar, right? It's a biblical word. I love the word because I feel like it brings the idea of coming under mission, right? Submission. And I know that that may not make you feel any better, but here's the deal, right? The reality is it's not a dirty word. It's a biblical word. There's a reason for that. And let me tell you why you can submit. The reason why I am able to submit to those that are over me is because you know what I recognize? They have greater responsibility than me. So wives, let me, let me, let me help you to just, 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 just relax for a moment. When you are submitting to your husband, what you are doing is you are acknowledging he has a different level of responsibility and accountability before God. Are you here? Because I want you to know something. When we stand before Jesus, I want you to know who's going to give an account for my family. You want to know who it is? It's me. You want to know who's going to give an account for the way our finances were dealt with? It's me. It doesn't matter who balances the checkbook. Hello, somebody. Right? You want, to, you, you want to know who's going to give an account for the way that we raised our kids? It's me. It's not my wife. Oh, well, God's going to talk. Hold on a second. If she's walking in submission, I'm the one that's got to give an account to God. That's the way that God, even, listen, the character of my wife, guess who's going to give an account for that? It is me. Hello, somebody. 
And so we have to realize that when you're talking about submission, God is saying, listen, I've put a great responsibility upon the man in your life. If he's your husband, I have called him to a greater level of responsibility. I've called him to a greater level of accountability before me. I haven't made him greater than you, but I've given him greater responsibility. Are you here? And so what we have is this idea. And so the word, it means to arrange under, to subordinate. And, and, and it's a Greek term, right? It's a Greek military term. There's two ways that this word is used in a military sense and a non-military sense. And so for those of you that are military, you'll understand this. And even if not, if you've seen a movie, you know, where there's people marching in a certain order, this is what it means. It means to arrange troop, arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. And so they come into alignment, and they're paying attention to a leader's command, right? They're paying attention to that. They're paying attention to what he's saying. Go right, go left. And and our days, we don't see this so much because there's so much different types of communication. But if you see those older movies, you know, uh, and, and like Gladiator and things like that, like you saw a leader, you saw people align, like that is one of my favorite movies, by the way. Um, and so you see that alignment there, right? But that's a military term, right? You sign up for the military, whether it's voluntary or not, guess what? You need to get in line, right? That's it, right? You go to boot camp, you get broke down, you get built up, and now you learn this is what, this is what submission is, right? You submit. You come under the mission. You don't run things your way. You do things the way that the leader commands it to be done. And so in, in the non-military sense, this is what it means, and so this is important. It's a voluntary attitude of giving in. Did you hear that? It's a voluntary attitude attitude of giving in. Submission, please know this, it is so much more about attitude than it is action. It is so much more about the attitude that we have than the actions that we demonstrate. And so he calls for that, that submission. It goes on, the the definition means cooperating. So it's working together, assuming responsibility, understanding both of you have certain strengths and certain weaknesses, right? And so when I say to you that I'm going to give an account for the checkbook, I am going to give an account for the checkbook. But if I was the accountant in the checkbook, we'd have some issues. Are you here? So I delegate that checkbook to my wife, and I allow her to do that part because she's much better with numbers. I mean, we were joking. You know, one day we were talking about school. My daughter at one point was saying, hey, can you homeschool us? And we were like, well, I would be the one teaching you math. And they were like, yeah, she won't even be able to add right. It's just that, that's just one of my weaknesses, right? Like there are moments that I'm like, man, what is this times this? I mean, I, you know, I don't use math every day like that. That's not one of my strengths at this point. And so ultimately what it is is that there's this cooperation. There's recognizing or assuming responsibility. It's carrying a burden. And so when God is calling you as the woman in the house to submit to your husband, he's saying with a voluntary attitude, come beside him, cooperate with him. Don't wrestle with him. Don't try to undermine him. Don't try to take his authority. Just because you're stronger in certain areas than him, don't belittle him. Are you here? value him, right? Like that's what he's saying there. And here's what I have to tell you this, because I think that this is so very important for you to hear. Notice submission isn't a response to love, but to the Lord. Submission, he didn't say, wives, when your husband is loving, submit to him. That isn't what he said. He said, wives, submit, period, as is fitting in the Lord. What is supposed to be because you're new in Christ, because you're a new creation. And I want you to know, you may not think this, and especially in our culture, again, because our culture is way far removed from when these scriptures were written. But can I tell you something? The fact that the epistle is even addressing a woman is great. 
So you don't think that because you're so used to women's rights and everything that you've been grown up in and you've been around. It wasn't like that in those days. In those days, they would ignore women. They wouldn't even speak to them about anything. It wasn't even about them. And so Paul, by by giving this command to women, you know what he was doing? You may not think so, but he was elevating women right there saying, hey, you have a responsibility to the Lord as well. You have a responsibility to follow the Lord. Now let's get to the husband. I know the lady's like, come on, can we move on? Uh, Husbands, husbands. Let me say this. Well, I just told the ladies that submission isn't connected to a loving husband but to the Lord. I want to say this. Submission is much easily given to a loving husband. Right? I'm not saying, now ladies, don't take that. Like, listen to what I said before that. Right? Like, well, Bishop said it's much. It is much easier. That doesn't mean you don't need to do it. Right? The fact of the matter is, this is what it means when, when, when I say that, oh, this is what I mean by that is that if you're a loving husband, you don't have to always be saying, hey, you need to submit, woman. Right? I think there's a problem. Like if I as a man have to always remind my wife of submission, I think there's an issue with me. I, th- I think I have a problem. I think that I have not led faithfully, right? That's just my thought on that. But here's what, it, here's what it means to love. Let's talk about love because he says to love your wives and not to be bitter towards them, right? To love them and not to be bitter towards them. There's a reason why there are these two things there together. So this is what it means to love. So the word love, you guys know this word. It's agape, right? Agapeo, right? It's this unconditional love that we see that it's a self-abandoned type of love. It's a self-sacrificial love, right? It's that selfless, gracious love towards people that are not always deserving. And so we realize this, but here's here's what this word means. It means to have a strong, now listen to this, non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character. Now listen to this, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges on another person's behalf. Now listen to that. Especially characterized by a willing willing forfeiture of rights or privileges on another person's behalf. So to, to love sacrificially, right, the way that Christ loves the church is to love in a manner that is doing what? That is saying, you know what? I'm not gonna even, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to even make my rights a big thing. I'm not going to make my privileges a big thing. So coming from being a single guy to being a married guy, right, like there's certain things. Let me tell you, let me, let me give you a fail because I like to let you all know how unholy I am. Um, so let me give you a fail. I remember my wife, I wish she was sitting here because she would laugh and um, she'd be looking at me like, yeah, you did. Um, I, I, when we first got married, I will never forget, she got sick. And she, it was a Saturday morning and I was scheduled to go play basketball. Because I'm such an amazing athlete, right? So I had to go. I was scheduled in. But anyway, I'm joking. What I'm telling you is it was not a big thing. I'm not no great basketball player. I was just going to play basketball with some guys right up the road from me, right? I wasn't on a team. It wasn't anything like that. And so my beautiful wife is sick. It's like our first year of marriage. And I remember that I went into the room and I I gave her a glass of orange juice. And I said, here you go. I got to go call your mom. So that was an epic fail, right, on loving, right, in in a sacrificial way. And so when you think about that, you come from being a single guy. You were doing everything you wanted to do, right? And so Steve and I were talking about this. We were having a conversation, and we were, and we were, I was sharing as I was growing up. I remember growing up, and I would go out once I got to the point that I was able to go out, and I wouldn't call my mom. You know, back then, he wasn't texting. I had to actually make a phone call. Um, and so I wouldn't call her and say, hey, I'm doing good. And it's like 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, midnight, 
one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, and I wouldn't call her to tell her I was okay. And she would get irate with me. And I'm like, why are you worried? I'm like, fine. And it's because she's not sleeping because she's thinking about me. And you know, when I got married, I didn't hang out like that late, but there was a couple of times that I was out and she was like, hello, are you going to call me? Because there's a little concern, right? And so here's what I'm saying. To love in this way is to love in that manner where you know what you say, man, my rights are not my rights. My privileges are no longer my privileges. Because here's the thing. As a man, you can go ahead and say, I'm the man. You can do whatever. And I'm going to do my thing. And I can go ahead and live my life. Wait a second. That's a privilege that I could have. But I need to deny that in order to do what? To love my wife the way that the Bible calls me to love her. And can I tell you, that's the reason why Paul says, and don't be bitter toward them. Because when you start sacrificing your desires, you know what happens? The tendency is you get bitter about it. So you're not going to do all these things, but you're going to have an attitude. It means don't be harsh with them, right? Don't be rude to them. You know, you ever walk around and be like, yo, what's wrong? You know, what, 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 what's, you never heard someone asking you, maybe as, as a man, maybe you've heard someone, what's wrong with you? And you know, when I start to internalize sometimes what's wrong with me is I couldn't get my way. Hello. What's wrong with me is I couldn't do the thing that I wanted to do. That's just the reality. I'm throwing a fit as a grown man. Hello. Still happens. And so Paul is saying, listen, love your wife and do not be bitter toward her. And so we have this responsibility that's there. Can I tell you this? If you haven't figured this out already, one of the greatest issues in marriage is when we tie our obedience to God's command, uh, uh, when we tie our obedience to God's commands, and or when, when we don't tie our obedience to God's command and we tie it to the obedience of others. That's one of the greatest issues in marriage. When I decide my obedience to God's command is going to be tied to someone else's behavior instead of tied to God. When I start looking at myself and I'm like, you know what? I love you when you start submitting. Well, I'll submit to you when you start loving. Huh. And we start, we start playing these games in marriage. We start saying, oh, well, I'll give you this. And we, I'll let you fill in the blank. I'll give you this. When you do this, that's not God's heart. That's not God's command. That's not what God says to do. Well, I'll do this when you give me this. See, we can't play those games. What we have to do is you have to say, wait a second, you know what I want to do? I want to be a man that honors God. I want to be a woman that honors God. So in my relationship, that's what I am going to do. I'm going to honor God the best way that I can. Second thing that we have here, say this with me. A child's obedience, a child's obedience. must be rooted and a desire to please the Lord. A child's obedience must be rooted in a desire to please the Lord. A child's, when we look at our children's obedience, look what, look what this verse says here. Paul says in verse 20, says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And so what Paul lets us know is that teaching our children to obey is paramount to teaching them how to please the Lord. What am I saying here? What I'm saying is this, is that our parenting must have an aim. I love it. We just finished a couple of weeks ago, we finished the art of parenting, and it's, a, you know, the whole time that we're going through the art of parenting, it's the development of this arrow, because our children are like arrows, right? And we're developing them, and there's an aim to what we are trying to do. So what is the aim for us as parents? Is it just for us to have good kids? Is it just for us to have kids that don't embarrass us? Is it just for us to have, to have kids who made it to some Ivy League college? Is it just for us to have kids who have more than we had while we were growing up? What is the goal of our parenting? 
What is the goal? And so here's the goal that I think is biblical. The biblical goal is that they would know God and that they would honor God. That means to love God. And then that they would also do the second thing, which is the second command, which is to love others. But if we only make the emphasis of obedience on us and not God, then you know what happens? We miss the mark. When, 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 we, when our kids only think about obeying us, and listen to me, this, is, this, is, this has got to be something that is developed, right? At, at the age that's too young, you're, you can talk about God all you want. They don't grasp that concept. If I sit there and I try, and I've tried this, and I'm telling you from experience, right? Josiah's a relatively smart child, but when I start talking to him about obedience in God, he's still working on obedience. Hello. Right? He's still working on, you know, or should I say we're working on obedience. He's still working the other way. Um, but nonetheless, if I start trying to, you know, point this out in, in, in an overwhelming manner, he's not going to grasp that. But you know what I got to do? I got to continue to enforce it. I got to continue to teach it. When we pray at night, I got to continue to talk about those things that are, listen, you know, it's important that you obey. It's important that you honor God. You know, why do we go to church? And I talked to him about, oh, why is it? It's because of what Jesus did for us. Whenever those moments come, it's always trying to point them to who? Point them to God because here is the reality. Children, you are to obey your parents and I want you to notice this, that your obedience to your parents, especially for the children in the room, I know you're listening up right now. Parents, if they're not, just give them a little elbow tap. But here's the thing. Obedience is not tied to perfect parents or perfect parenting. Are you here? It's not tied to that. Because again, they see you and you, know, you might be looking at your parents and like, well, they're not perfect. They don't do everything they're supposed to do. And they might, you might feel like you have some type of past. That's not true. It's to obey them in all things. And all things means everything except sin. Are you here? And so sinning is not something that you do. But if your parents are asking you to do anything that is not sin, guess what? You obey. Go to bed at this time. Amen. Be home by this time. Amen. Put your phone down. It's enough time on the phone. It's enough time in front of the TV. Amen. Right? We do this because this is pleasing to the Lord. We don't, we don't fuss and we don't fight. We don't argue about it. We do what we're supposed to do because what? Because it honors God. And here's the beauty of this. The beauty of this is that when we obey our parents, right? And parents know this. When you teach your children to please the Lord, it's going to bring us to the message for next week, which is doing all things for the glory of God. What you are doing when you teach your kids the primary reason that they obey, the primary reason why they do everything is to please the Lord. You know what happens? There's this residual effect that overflows in the other areas of their life because now everything that they want to do, they realize they do it for one purpose, to bring pleasure to God. They do it for one reason to bring pleasure. It's not because of the allowance they get. It's not because of the $10 they get for every A they get. It's not because of all of the things they're going to get. Those are all side note. Those are all side benefits that your children get from what they do to do right. But your children have to know that the number one reason why they obey, the number one reason why they do the things they do is to bring pleasure to God. Because you know what? The only one that's the constant that never fails is him. The only one that never changes is him. You can lose your job no matter how hard you work. You can fail in a class no matter how hard you're trying to get through that just because, you know what, I just I, I couldn't figure that out or whatever the case is. Things happen, but you know what, God never fails us. He never abandons us. He never leaves us. And so when we can have a God-centered, a Christ-centered development and discipline, then you know what? We can go ahead and we'll be intentional. And I'll say this, teaching our children to obey, right, it is, it is, it is super, super important because it teaches them that obeying God is the most important thing. 
above everything else, above their feelings, because guess what? They didn't feel like turning their phone off. They didn't feel like throwing out the garbage. They didn't feel like getting up in the middle of that show to do what you told them to do. They didn't feel like going to bed. They wanted to finish that thing. They didn't want to go take a shower. They definitely didn't want to brush their teeth. Hello, somebody. And so the reality is we teach them that, and they come to know God and, and that ultimate value. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is our parenting, our parenting. must be intentional. Our parenting must be intentional. And one thing that I want to say is that in verse 20, right, in verse 20 it says, children obey your parents. Another, and I have to say this because this is super important that you realize, in the culture of that day, the one that was, that was concerned typically in that culture to be honored was the father. It wasn't the parent. It wasn't the parents. It was the father. And so again, when Paul says this, and even from, we see in the book of Exodus, guess what? We see the honoring of our mother and our father. God has always been trying to elevate, right, value of men and women. He's always been trying to do that. And so in this context, he does it. But you know what he does? Now he flips it around. He gets real specific because what does he talk to? He speaks to fathers. Pateo. Right? When I look up this word, if you look it up, it is, it is a male, it, it is a male word. It's not a female word. And so it's not saying that, that mothers are not part of the discipline and development process. But what it means is that fathers have a responsibility in this process that is slightly different. Fathers in verse 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Our parenting must be intentional. Here's one thing that I think less tough love will be needed when more intentional parenting exists. Less tough love will be needed when more intentional parenting exists. And when I say tough love, I want to qualify it. I'm not talking about the tough love I'm showing Josiah now. I'm talking about, and it's funny because I was part of our conversation this morning. I said, look, you know, you want, you know, we always think about teen years. Let me tell you something. Don't think about teen years unless you're there right now. But if you have little kids, listen, you already dealt with your teen years way before they become teenagers. We want to fix stuff at 13, 14, 15. Listen, it's possible, but it's very difficult. Now you're running into this different age, this, 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 this hormone-driven, this child that's going through so many changes, having trouble finding themselves during these, during, during these developmental years, you know, like up to eight years old, 10 years old. Like, I mean, you need to make sure that you have already dealt with those teen years by then so that way when they're teens, because, I mean, you think about it. Like, if I don't deal with teen years, I want you to think about what teen years will look like for me. My son is probably going to be six feet by the time he's in third grade, Okay. <laughs> I, I just want to give you some qualifications here, okay? I'm not six feet tall. By the time he gets to high school, he's probably going to be like 6'3", something like that, right? He'll definitely be dunking the basketball and all that kind of stuff. If I have not dealt with teen years by, by then, guess what? We're going to have some fights because he's going to be looking down at me. Hello, somebody. Right? He's going to be like, what, what's up, Dad? I'm going like, to tell you what's up. But here's the thing, right? I need to address these issues way before he gets there. Not, not because I'm afraid, but because I fear for him because it's not me that I'm worried about. It's him that I'm worried about. If I, if I don't raise this child to fear God and honor God, then guess what? Later on, I'm going to be crying more tears, and, I, and I, would, I would much rather cry those tears now. I'd much rather do that. And that doesn't mean, listen to me, that there's not hope for those older children and some children that have moved out of the house and things like that. Listen, the reality is this, is that you may have to go through that tough love, but if we as parents will be intentional now, we'll have to be less tough later on. Because later on, we're not disciplining them. You know why? We've done that already. Later on, we're not trying to run their life. You know why? We did that already. Later on, we're not fearing for them. You know why? Why? Because we did that stuff already. 
So we're trusting God. Intentional parenting, again, has that aim that I talked about earlier, which is to what? To honor God, to know God, to love others, right? Like that is what the aim is. And here's what I'm going to close this point with. To be discouraged because it says that we are to, that, that fathers, we're supposed to not provoke our children, right? We're not supposed to provoke them, right? Irritate them. Hello, right? And, and, and it's funny because I, I, I think, as I think about this, I go back to, you know, my time because Josiah, he's, he tells me all the time, Daddy, you're making me sad. <laughs> Dad, you're being mean to me. I'm like, no, Josiah, I'm telling you no. And so, and so I'm, I have to differentiate, right, between what, I'm not provoking him, right? He's just very in touch with his emotions. And so, I mean, he has always been, he's always like, oh, I'm very sad right now. I'm like, okay, it's okay to be sad. I'm sad too. We actually trade days for sad, by the way. And I'm like, okay, today's my day to be sad. You can't be sad today. Um, it's, it's a joke. But anyhow, um, because he's always emotional, right? He, he's, he's, he wants to express all of those feelings, and so as parents, we cannot discourage our kids. We cannot provoke them because we don't want to discourage them. And so here's the thing. To be discouraged as a child, this is how you'll know that you've been doing that. It means to leave a child thinking things like, I'll never get it right. That's what it means to discourage your child. So if you are the type of parent that is always, you know, you're, you're that perfectionist parent, Right? Like you're that parent that a B plus is never good enough, right? A, 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 you know, and, and depending on your child, right, if they, if, if they didn't get straight A's, it's like, oh my goodness. You know, if you're that parent that is never satisfied with the actions and the behavior, listen, you need to check yourself because your child will grow up with this type of complex. It's never going to be good enough. I'm never, never going to get it right, right? All he does or all she does is criticize me, right? I mean, think about that. It's, it's good to correct. It's good to, you know, intervene and deal with behaviors and situations. But man, is, is, there, is there the also equal effort in demonstrating love, the equal effort in showing that you care, that you're concerned? Especially, and again, fathers, this is us, and dads and men, listen, I love you guys. I want you to know that. Unfortunately, the text leads me this way, and I have to be straight up, right? I, I, and I'm not trying to come down on you. I'm just saying we have a responsibility. And we have to make sure there's, there's certain things that we as dads can do that, listen, moms, I love you as well, but it's only us that can do it. There's certain things, and it's something that God created us with. It's something that God designed us with. There's a certain voice we have into our children's lives. There's certain things that come from dads, and it's just the way God made us. And so we have to be sure that we're doing this. How about this one? He'll never love me. Listen, the one thing that I want to make sure is that my kids understand the difference between my love, right, and my expectations. They have to be separate. Because even if you fail my, my expectations, I still love you. And I need to make sure that you know that. I need to make sure that you hear that. Parents, you need to hear that. I want you to hear what John Newton said. He said this. He said, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. He knew his father loved him. But he was like, but he didn't show it to me. He didn't let me see this. And so I close with this thought. Christian fathers should be sure their children are as sure of their love as they are of their authority. We must be sure that they are as sure of our love as they are of our authority. And so my closing question is this for all of us. Is your family aligned with biblical expectations? Is your family aligned with biblical expectations? And so I don't know. Maybe as you heard this message, you're like, man, I got some aligning to do. That's beautiful. You know why? Jesus died so you can get in alignment. He rose again so you could get in alignment. 
And what I want to say is this, is that if you're a believer in here, then you know what? You have the grace of God on your side to help you obey whatever it is you need to align. Maybe you're a husband, you need to align with your wife. Maybe you're a wife, you need to align with your husband. Maybe you're a child and you need to align with your parent. Maybe you need to ask your parents to forgive you for being disobedient, for not honoring them. I don't know, but, but maybe those things need to be aligned. Maybe you're a father or maybe you know, you're a mother in here. You might be a single mom in this place and maybe you're in here and you're like, man, I've been provoking my kids. I've been experiencing some things. And so here's the deal. If you say no, that you haven't, and Jesus is in your life, you can repent and you can come to him and ask him, God, give me strength and give me grace because the gospel allows us to do that. But here's the other thing I want to say. If you are in here and you are not a believer, you need to understand that it's not just about you doing things right. It's about you walking with the one that makes you right. It's about you submitting your life to the one who can empower you to do it. Because here's the truth. The truth is, whether you're a believer or not, you can apply these principles. As a believer, it's going to be easier. Hello. Because you're not doing it on your own strength. You're doing it by the power and the grace of God. So if you're out of alignment and you know Jesus, trust him today. If you're out of alignment and you don't know Jesus, put your faith in him today. Trust him today with your life and walk out of here desiring and deciding to walk in alignment with God's will. So I'll stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Father, we humble our hearts before you today, and we ask you, Spirit of God, for your wisdom, for your grace. We ask you, Lord, to deal with our hearts as you will and as you desire, as you've spoken to us today through your word. Lord, we just pray that we would be able to respond faithfully to you, that we would be able to respond fully to you. And God, I pray that we would align ourselves with you, with your word and our families, that our families would reflect your goodness, your will and your purpose. Lord, I pray for parents in here of older children that may be hurting, that may be feeling condemned and overwhelmed. God, I pray against all of that right now in Jesus' name. I pray that your Holy Spirit would comfort them, strengthen them, and encourage them, give them wisdom to continue to walk beside those older children. Lord, I pray for us that we have older children, younger children. Lord, I just pray that you would help us. Help us to align them, Lord God. Help us to bring them into the understanding of pleasing you being above everything else, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that you would glorify yourself within each and every life here. And Lord, for anyone in here that does not know you today, may you draw their hearts to you. May they come to you in a saving way today. And may they begin a new journey walking with you, allowing you to align them with your will. God, we thank you for this. And we pray all of this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise.